0: Thank you for tuning in. So many of us today are starving for leaders who get it. Those inspired by something greater, but also focused on doing exactly what it takes to make that happen, and especially doing so when it's not always easy or comfortable. Our guest today is Brian Sullivan, Principal and CEO of Sullivan Engineering, and he is such a leader, and also a great example of how it's our who that really drives our why on an individual level. There's a lot unpacked in this episode in terms of leadership in both business and in life, and specifically on how being mission-driven, humbly confident, and truly aware of how you've been served and supported by others perfectly positions us to serve and empower others to be their best, whether they be our teammates, our clients, or our neighbors. So without any further delay, let's do it.
1: The host of AEC Leadership Today is Pete Atherton, a professional engineer and former AEC principal and owner turned AEC coach and consultant. And now take a break from your never-ending to-do list and welcome Peter Atherton.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another great episode of AEC Leadership Today. Today, we'll be speaking with Brian Sullivan, CEO of Sullivan Engineering, and we'll be talking about a variety of topics, including entrepreneurship, niching down, and serving and growing within and beyond the great work that we do. Welcome to the podcast, Brian.
2: Thank you very much. It's an honor to be here.
0: Well, we're excited to have you here. Um, and just so listeners know, um, we first met at a Zwei Elevate conference in Las Vegas last year. Um, out at the the pool deck happy hour. and We had a really neat conversation and we have stayed in touch with social media and some further conversations since then. And I'm excited to dive into what we're going to talk about today. But before we do, can we um, start by getting to know you a little bit about how you got involved with your career and what brought you to where you are today and also about Sullivan Engineering?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Pete. It is funny how a uh, simple conversation at this wide conference uh, can lead to now a respecting friendship and um, getting some sharing some good information. Um, so I started Sullivan Engineering about 10 years ago. Uh, I was working in the same niche um, for uh, another company when my wife and I decided it was time for uh, me to start my own company and give it a shot. Uh, so I started Sullivan Engineering uh, just myself and then eventually brought on an administrative assistant.
0: So, I mean, what, um, so in the same niche just 10 years ago, can you share a little bit more about um, what what happened 10 years ago to give you the, the itch to start something new?
2: Yeah, I think it became clear to me um, what had been, you know, ruminating in my head for a long time was that, it, you know, I, I always thought I wanted to be in leadership of a company, but when I started working for the company I was uh, working for 10 years ago, uh, when I started with them 19 years ago, I got to see how the owner of the company was able to start that and grow that business. And it was a very successful business. um, And he had done a really good job. And I really started to see that I might have the opportunity to do the same thing. And it was worth taking the risk and trying uh, to see if I could grow a a similar company. uh, But one that I wanted to focus kind of on uh, what I felt were the important things to focus on within a business uh, and to focus right on the people uh, as we expanded the business to make sure
0: we had the right people that we were working with always. So um, so I definitely want to get into the, the focus of the business. Now, did you know early on that you were interested in being like an entrepreneur and owning your own company? Or as your career developed, did you sort of develop that insight that, you know what, I can do this and I want to do this?
2: I think early on in my career, if I think back to when I started working for a heavy and highway construction company, um, I think the barrier to entry is what kept me from really believing that I could do it. Uh, Working for a heavy and highway construction company, you know, you need a lot of capital uh, to get started. Uh, And I'm, you know, not one that's big on taking out uh, all sorts of loans. And uh, I didn't have a couple million dollars to start a heavy and highway construction company. But I did see what the leadership of that company was like and how they started it and grew it uh, and thought, you know, maybe one day, do I want to be a leader of that company? Do I want to sometime own my own company? Um, And it wasn't until I switched over into the engineering side, which Peter was pretty funny because I was only doing it for four years uh, to get my license and go back to the GC side. I think I really didn't have the confidence that I could do it as an engineer. Uh, And I certainly didn't have the confidence that I could do it as an owner of a business. So as I started to um, work in the engineering side, really start to love uh, the engineering work, see that I was pretty good at it, um, that I gained the confidence that maybe one day I could own my own business. So what prompted the shift
0: from like highway construction to building envelope design and construction that you're involved with now?
2: When I worked in heavy and highway work, it was great, but we traveled a good bit. Um, And the mantra on those projects was often whoever yelled the loudest got their say, their way. Uh, Not necessarily, you know, active debate on the right and the wrong way to do something. Um, So I figured, you know what, if I'm going to try something other, Uh, then working on the heavy and highway working in the contracting side, I might as well try a total different side of engineering as well. Staying within the civil sort of structural uh, arena. At first I went to a construction manager. I did kind of like that, but uh, ultimately said, you know what, let me go get my license, uh, go to work for an engineering firm for four years, get my license, and then figure out whether I want to go back to the CM or GC. Uh, So I think it was, you know, gaining a little bit of confidence helped a lot.
0: So in that work you were doing, um, What's the, the building envelope type of work, which I, you know, coming from the, the water and wastewater field, I mean, it, it, I was intrigued to learn more about what building envelope engineering was and, and how you did that. So, but you went in and you were in that space and that's the space you decided to start solvent engin- um, Engineering focusing in. Could you share a little bit more about the building envelope space?
2: Absolutely. So building envelope is anything on the exterior of the building, facades, roofs, windows, sidewalks, sidewalk walls, parking garages, etc. So other uh, examples, they use building enclosure, some of the other nomenclature for it instead of building envelope is building enclosure or just building exterior. Um, And uh, one of the things, oddly, that I really like about that niche is all of the different people we interact with. Um, Because some of the projects are a little bit smaller uh, in size, uh, they don't involve necessarily an owner's rep or a construction manager. So we as the engineer uh, act as the owner's rep on the project. So we deal directly with the owners of the building or the co-op and condo board. We deal directly with the contractors, with the subcontractors uh, and all the parties involved. Uh, and for me, that really scratches a big ish. I love talking. I love talking to people. I love meeting different types of people. Um, so the work, you know, I really enjoy on the building envelope, especially the restoration side of it. But it's all the different people I get to interact with that I really love.
0: And you I mean, so, and in, in where you're doing this building work, I mean, a lot of your work you're doing is in New York City or, or the New York metro area. Is that, that's correct?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Up until about two years ago, was almost all of it was in New York City proper in Manhattan, Brooklyn, and uh, the Bronx. We've expanded outward into Metro New York area recently, uh, and even up into uh, Cambridge, Mass more recently, but most
0: of the work is in the city. And so that, I mean, that is the work in in, in the Metro New York. I mean, that, you know, they're built, there's more than a few buildings. And so there, there's, I mean, whether, I mean, how do you, how do you get the work? I, you know, as far as, you know, is it, mainly, you know, leaking buildings, um, ex- deteriorating exteriors. I mean, what what is the market driver for, um, for the work?
2: That's a great question uh, because there is so much of it in New York City and it's such a dense uh, area. There is a law in New York City, it's a facade ordinance, uh, used to be referred to as Local Law 11. Now it's called FISP, the Facade Inspection Safety Program. Uh, and that requires that every building greater than six stories has to be inspected every five years. Uh, There's 14,000 of those buildings just in New York City, not including the metro New York area, uh, and even further out on Long Island up in uh, in Westchester, etc. So that every building has to be inspected every five years. And then any work that we deem necessary has to be performed and in New York City, a work permit has to be pulled for that type of work, uh, an engineer or an architect has to file the drawings for the work permit. In other municipalities, you don't actually need the engineer and architect to get the permit, but in New York City, you do. So that's a big driver of what we do, and it's really focused on
0: protecting the public. Right, because I mean, it's not only inspecting buildings because leaks can cause major damage and disruption of, of, of tenants, you know, from a residential perspective and a work perspective, but I mean, the stuff that can fall off buildings and And it's a life safety issue for everyone walking on the sidewalks below. I mean, it's, it's a bigger deal than we just need the buildings to look nice.
2: It's a much bigger deal. Um, And and the law, you know, it has two sides to it. One is it protects the public. Um, The benefit from the law for building owners is that it keeps their long-term maintenance costs down, right? Because they're doing uh, small maintenance projects every five to 10 years, as opposed to doing uh, some sort of a major renovation to the exterior after something falls from the building. Um, And then, you know, leaks, It, it helps to mitigate leaks. If you're Repairing the exterior of your building on a regular cycle, you're going to prevent leaks proactively. Um, So we often joke that uh, nobody really wants to call us to their buildings as a building envelope consultant. Uh, They're only calling us because they have to, because they have to comply with the law or uh, because they have to address an active leak. uh, That's a nuisance for somebody. Uh, Very rarely do they call us because they want to fix up the exterior.
0: Mm. Well, I want to I want to jump now into well that's not different from a lot of the engineering uh, because we work behind the scenes um, we're, we're a necessary um, with the necessary oil for society but a lot of people don't appreciate what we do um, until we're not there or in, until something needs fixing so um, but I want to talk so you you get into the building envelope space um, and you're doing work and then you you say you know what I'm ten years ago I'm going to start my own company. Um, what did it look like in the early days? I mean, how did you get your first clients? And, and I, from the times we've talked, you said that you wrote a 40 year plan in the local library. So not just like, how am I going to get through the next two years, but like a 40, can you just walk us through sort of that, those, those early days?
2: Absolutely. Uh, You know, to be clear, my wife was my rock. Uh, She was uh, absolutely what kept me strong, what gave me the courage to do it and what kept me strong through those early years. We had a a four-year-old, a two-year-old and a newborn when I started the business. And uh, my wife's wisdom said, now's the time to do it. Uh, If we, if they don't go on vacation for the next few years or we have to eat rice and beans, so be it. They'll never know the difference. Uh, But if you wait too long, you'll never be able to catch up on their college funds uh, if the first few years are a struggle. And the first few years definitely were a struggle for sure. Uh, As you mentioned, when I started the business, uh, I was working out of the Wayne Public Library here in New Jersey uh, for the first five to six weeks before I moved into an office space. Um, And for me, I love daydreaming about the long term. But if I was going to work through this, I wanted to know that there was a long term plan and that at the end, um, it would be worth it you know, that I would carry on a business and I put in a 40 year plan uh, at the age of 34. Uh, So obviously that 40 year plan was not for me to be a part of, uh, but still wanted to see that if I was going to build something, it was going to be worth it for the people involved uh, to still be with the business. Um, So when I laid it out, uh, it was fun. It was on a yellow legal pad. Uh, I can still remember doing it. Um, And, you know, I'm an optimist by nature. Uh, somewhat of a realist, but certainly an optimist. But I also had to be incredibly naive. And and thank God I was, uh, and a little bit crazy to lay out that 40 year plan. But I did. And I did it based on the number of people that I wanted to work with on the team, and then just simply multiplied it by revenue, uh, and didn't even take into account inflation or any of that. But that was just enough for me to drive me through those early days, which were really, really rough. Um, I had to get beyond a lot uh, of my own hangups and go cold. You know, I didn't want to reach out to any of my old clients. I didn't think that was the right thing to do. So I had to create um, a whole new set of clients uh, to go after and try to basically go door to door or pick up the phone and call them. And that took a lot to get beyond. uh, But as I saw the Sullivan family's uh, funds being depleted significantly, uh, that really motivates you, really lights a fire under you to to be able to get
0: beyond any of those hangups. So, I mean, your hangups is that, you know, just the the uncomfortableness of cold calling and building relationships and and asking for work. Yeah,
2: yeah, absolutely. I love building relationships. I hate cold calling. Uh, You know, if I could build a relationship without that first (laughs) cold call, uh, that'd be great. You know, a a warm introduction to me is a piece of cake. I can take it from there. But picking up and introducing myself and saying, hi, I'd like to see if we do work. uh, That takes a lot of inner strength. Uh, I'm so impressed with people that can do that so easily and so naturally.
0: Yeah, me, me too. <laughs> um, how, 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 I mean, so whether it be a warm introduction or a cold call, I mean, what did it look like? I mean, can you think back to your first couple clients and, and what do you think it was that got them to hire you?
2: Sure. The uh, first actual client we had uh, hired us for an investigation of the outside of their building and um, I went in at a typical price of a third what market rate would have been because I was dying at that point. We were, business was open seven months and I didn't have any revenue. And they called back and asked me to cut the price by a factor of 10. Uh, and I gladly agreed because I wasn't doing anything anyway. So why not? Um, and we did that. And then the, uh, a week later, so that started a little bit of a snowball. Um, you have to take something, right? You have to have a client. Uh, a week later, I got a call Uh, from a contractor that the engineer had been thrown off of a project mid design. Um, And the uh, client didn't, you know, needed someone that could pick up fast and he wanted to know if I had the time to work on the project. Uh, So I kind of chuckled, said, sure, plenty of time. Uh, I met the owner at the building that day uh, or the owner of the property management company. I met him that day on site. Um, took over design and construction administration, but I think meeting on the roof, um, getting to look uh, you know, eye to eye uh, and shake hands uh, gave the property manager comfort that even though I had only one other really small project, it was a relatively new business, he felt confident that uh, I could get the job done. Uh, and then we've done probably 45 to 50 projects with that property management company since then.
0: Right. And the benefit is you were in that space. So you yes. you, you knew it, it was just under a different name now. Absolutely. So you mentioned wanting to start um, Sullivan Engineering to to focus on the people side. Can we, you know, and in the past, you've talked about the sort of the mission, vision and values and how you wanted to be, you know, uh, more of a legacy company versus, say, a lifestyle company. Can you share a little bit more about that from a mission and vision perspective and and how you live out um, that in practice?
2: Absolutely. I'd uh, love to talk about that. You'll have to hit the stopwatch for me at some point or, or raise the red flag to cut me off. Um, but the, from the early days, you know, when I hired people, um, it was based off of gut feel and you know, what, having conversations with them more personal conversations with them about, uh, who they are, what they like to do in their spare time, you know, whether or not they're family driven, et cetera. Um, About five years ago, we formally identified our values for the company, and we formally identified the purpose of the company, uh, and that purpose being to empower others to improve their quality of life. And that drives everything that we do. It drives our work with each other, right? Uh, Going through times like we're going through right now, you know, some people may not be doing their best to knock it out of the park, but if you live the purpose of empowering others to improve their quality of life, well, man, you got a great motivation to knock it out of the park right now for yourself, for your team that you work with, uh, for the clients that are trying to keep going, for the contractors that want to keep moving on projects, and then the not uh, you know, the for profits, the charities that are, we're involved with and we support. You know, during times like this, you really have to work really, really hard to help empower uh, others, improve their quality of life. So once we really formalize that, um, and we hire, fire, reward, and recognize based off of that, as well as our core values, uh, and when we identified the core values too, it became crystal clear uh, the type of people that were successful at Sullivan Engineering and have stayed here and have been really happy and the type that aren't. Um, and from what I understand, there's about 170 descriptors of values out there. So uh, just because someone doesn't share ours doesn't make them a bad person at all. It just means they're not going to be happy working with us or maybe not as motivated as others, right? As if they were in a place that really did share their values. And and for us, we were all about being team first. We're all about empower people, having an entrepreneurial mindset. Honesty and integrity is our fourth core value and being humbly confident is the fifth and then being forward thinking. So as we hire fire reward and recognize based off of those values, it becomes very, very easy. And when someone joins the team uh, you know, the technical side, to be quite honest, you know, if you hire people that are uh, smart and intelligent, which we do um, the technical side, they can learn and maybe, you know, we hire somebody and it's a misread on where they are technically. So it's going to take a little bit longer. Okay, fine. We can work with that. As long as they share the core values and the drive towards our purpose, they're going to do really, really well. And they're going to work hard to learn the technical side. So for us, that was the key. Um, Finding the people that share those values and, and the purpose for the company and get fired up about that. And, you know, it's one thing to want to make a profit for the company so that the owner does well, or make a profit for the company so that you can profit share with everybody else. It takes it to a whole nother level when you're doing it to uh, support students in Haiti uh, that are trying to go to school down there, go to a, a school that can help them be the next leaders of Haiti, Or you're trying to support a charity that does conflict resolution in East Africa. Uh, we're involved in uh, some soup kitchens in New York City, as well as some fa- a, um, the Father English Center, a, a food pantry here in New Jersey. So you know, when, when you're fired up about that, it just takes it to a whole nother level. Uh, it doesn't allow you to get comfortable.
0: So in that, you know, we're we're doing what we do to serve clients, to to earn a living, to have profits, so that we can invest um, in the in these nonprofits. I mean, uh, um, or, or or invest in the employees. How? And that's one thing we've we've spoken about before. How you invest in in the employees uh, a little differently than I think a, a lot of um, AEC firms. Could you share about you know how you invest in your employees that that's um, different?
2: Yeah, I mean, we do, you know, so many firms do the training, right? And we do that. And we have the in, internal training as well as external training. Uh, you know, we have the traditional 401k, the health insurance. Uh, we're a little bit uh, different in the health insurance in that we feel that people shouldn't have to worry about it. So we pay a significant portion of that. But where I think you're going with this is really what sets us apart, in my opinion, is that we have two paid days off a year to volunteer. Uh, and people can volunteer anywhere they want. They can't paint their kitchen, uh, but they can volunteer at any sort of charity that they support. It uh, really doesn't even have to be a registered 503CB or anything like that if they're involved in a good cause. Uh, and one year, one of our team members came up with a good idea. We were working on a school um, that was short on some funds and they needed people to kind of clean the uh, ground floor walls and uh, remove a coating. So our whole team spent our Labor Day weekend uh, stripping the coating off of the ground floor of the building and cleaning it uh, so that they would it would save them you know about ten thousand dollars and that was in I think year three or four of the business uh, but there's a lot of fun things like that that we 've done um, to try to remind each other that there's a greater cause uh, than just going to work every day and even just protecting the public uh, from falling facades, which is a, obviously uh, something that's incredibly important, but it goes even beyond that.
0: So, I mean, so many leaders um, and even leadership teams that I talk with, I mean, they want to be in a position to have a greater mission, to be able to sort of live that out, you know, through great projects, but then also beyond the projects. How do you manage that to make sure that the work is done and the clients are satisfied as being the first step to being able to realize the profits and then reinvest a portion of those profits? back into employees and in different endeavors? I mean, how do you maintain the focus on the clients as the first step? Or or is it the first step? It is definitely
2: the first step, right? Because if we don't serve our clients well, we're not going to continue to get work. Uh, We're not going to continue to be able to hire more people. We're not going to continue to make more profit, uh, which then serves uh, the not-for-profits that we're involved with, right? So when we sit with people, uh, if we make a mistake on a project, it happens, right? Uh, we'll look at the mistake and learn at it, uh, but then we'll, you know, drill down into the core values and then the purpose. Uh, and if someone really just didn't do the right thing on a project, we share with them, you know, how is that empowering others? Uh, when, when you did this here, when you, you know, when you uh, made this, which costs, you know, you went over budget by $10,000 on a project. Well, that's $10,000 that just came out of the profit pool that we could have used to you know, for this uh, for these students, that's you know x amount of students in Haiti that we could be sponsoring. So having those conversations, it's hard. It hurts to be on the receiving end of a conversation like that, but really galvanizes people and say, and trying to make the right decisions. Always uh, trying to make sure we stay within budget. We're smart about it, uh, and trying to make sure that we keep those clients recurring. Um, when we drill into that, and I think it has to be a line item on the budget. If I'm going to be completely honest, you know, we talked about it the first few years, and we didn't put as much as we wanted to. Uh, because they're just, it never seemed to be there. We'd say, oh, you know, at the end of the year, when we're doing uh, bonus distributions, we'll write a check, right? Uh, Now it's a monthly line item on the budget that we have to spend. Uh, And when you write it in that way, uh, really galvanizes you to to make sure it gets done. And when it's not, if for some reason it's not spent, you know, we have to spend it. We have to Maybe we spend it the following month uh, and catch up, but we have to do it. It has to be a line item in the budget, in my opinion, from what I've
0: seen. How do you, do you, do your, um, do your clients know about this or is it tr- like an internal, you and your employees know about it and it, it drives you and the mission of the organization? I mean, how widespread is it known, you know, sort of what your, your core mission is and, and the values of your organization? The, the
2: mission and the values are known, they're on our website, what we do for not for profits, we don't advertise and we go back and forth on that a lot, uh, because uh, we don't want it to look like it's a marketing or publicity stunt, because uh, it's not, it's so much more than any sort of marketing or publicity stunt. So to date, we haven't really shared much about it at all. Um, we go back and forth saying, Hey, you know, would that help clients really find people that they want to work with that share their values and they'll enjoy working with more. Um, you know, would it, and then in turn, would it bring more profit to the company, which then it bring more revenue to the company, which brings more profit, which allows us to help even more people. We go back and forth a lot on that. We're playing it safer right now and, and really don't market it that much
0: you know that it, it, to your employees, it's a driver and it attracts them and re- retains them in the organization because it's just a key, key aspect of your business.
2: Oh, absolutely. Uh, we talk about it um, in a structured manner uh, regularly, as well as just informally. Uh, we're talking about what we're doing and, and what we're involved with and taking suggestions on
0: other charities that we can get involved with. So if I can talk a little bit more about the business. So you're, you know, you have a lot of different skill sets and certainly as engineers um, we can do a whole lot of different things you're pretty specific with Sullivan engineering in in the building envelope space and so you're pretty niched in that industry and there's you know always the debate about you know diversifying versus niching down and being so well known in a specialty topic um, and then growing through that specialization have, do you have a, any thoughts on that aspect or, you know, how have you sort of looked at being very good in a particular niche versus diversifying? Because I know, you know, just by being good in your niche, you've already expanded from New York to the Boston area in the same space. So I, any philosophies or any thoughts on, you know, niching down versus diversifying from a, from a business growth perspective?
2: From our point of view, we felt niching down was the right way to go uh, because it allowed us to provide a consistent uh, level of service um, in all of the work we were providing. Uh, It allowed us to really identify our processes and narrow down on them uh, to get the processes down pat. Uh, We did have over the years, many different clients asking us to jump into completely different areas uh, of engineering, but that would serve the same clients. So it'd be kind of easy to do that as far as serving the clients. uh, But we'd be reaching, you know, way outside of our area of expertise. And that's not something that we felt we were interested in. um, As well as trying to hire somebody that knew that area of expertise, when I myself or anyone on our leadership team doesn't know it, Uh, we just felt it wasn't the way to go, we would rather be absolute experts in our area of practice and grow geographically. Uh, It's easy to say that when you come from New York city and there's 14,000 buildings right in New York city and you go outside in the New York metro area is comparable to any of the top five other cities in the country. Uh, and then you've got Boston and Philadelphia and DC so close, but regardless, we just felt that was the right way to go for us uh, to grow geographically. Uh, now we have, uh, we are expanding into complementary areas of practice, so where we handle building envelope restoration for more stone and masonry buildings, we've brought on some expertise that can handle curtain wall buildings. So it is still restoration. It is still building enclosure. Um, Eventually, we'll bring in some people that can do building enclosures for new buildings. And, you know, that's where we'll go into what we call complementary areas of practice. Um, But to jump into something like mechanical engineering or electrical and still serve our same clients is not part of our plan. Um, It's we feel we're better off staying within that niche and knowing our area unbelievably
0: well. So you just sparked my interest, you know, doing envelope work on new buildings versus the older buildings like masonry. I just think some of the old historic buildings, how, how is it different, you know, doing work on like really intricate historic buildings versus maybe some of the new um, architecturally sort of glassy buildings? I mean, it, it, are, are there different sort of... Um, do you approach the work differently or is it similar even though to the eye of different people it might look different?
2: No, it's it's pretty different uh, in regards to the materials that are used, the way they're attached, the structures of the buildings, how they're connected, how they're affected by the elements uh, is all very different. Um, and so you have to be able to know that. And that's that's why I personally uh, was reticent to get involved in it uh, until we brought on some, some expertise uh, in that area. And, and now we're getting into it uh, now that we have some of that
0: expertise in house. Right. So, I mean, so as you've, you've grown, um, the company, I mean, it's, it's not you, it's not a handful of people. It's, it's, it's close to 30 people today, um, and continuing to grow. So that's, that's a full on team. And how, how do you, um, how do you manage all that and continue to sort of invest in yourself and invest in, in, in the growth while keeping a handle on all of the work of a, of a growing organization?
2: That was a struggle for sure. Uh, it was really uh, a struggle. And I think one of the common uh, misconceptions for all of us is that, you know, when you've got that much on your plate, you just have to work harder. You got to spend more hours, longer hours. And the reality is you have to put in less. Um, you, when I learned to take, uh, true free days or days off and delegate work to other people appropriately, um, and really disconnect, I got a lot more, uh, rest. Uh, I came back fresher and I was happier because I was spending time with my family and, uh, they were happier as well. Right. Uh, but the work that I delegated, uh, you know, a lot of it got, was performed a lot better than I would have done. Uh, there's a lot of people on my team that are a lot better at certain aspects of, of their work. Or, or many aspects of the work, then uh, a lot better than I am. So, delegating that away to them allowed them, freed them up. They loved the opportunity to do some of that work and it allowed them to show off their skill set and what they're really good at and it allowed them to do work that they love. Um, so, once I really started doing that and, and freeing myself up, taking free days, disconnecting is really when the company started to take off. So, I, I
0: mean, I think that's great from an empowering your staff perspective, but. Um, but We've also talked, I mean, you've sort of taking on, taken on sort of new levels of of leadership and had to work through and um, of, of new ways to communicate. And I know, you know, you've talked about, we've talked about your daily videos and, and kind of working through um, what you feel like you needed to work through to be able to communicate effectively. I mean, can you talk about what what got you to the point of, you know what, I should produce daily videos um, and then um, what the content of those are what what, do you, what what what's the overall goal of of connecting with your team every day through video
2: yeah so the daily videos started uh, during this covid-19 uh, new york on pause or really the whole country's on pause right where we're working from home and uh, just kind of putting myself in the shoes of our team and if i were them what would i want i would want someone to communicate with me i would want someone to let me know what they know um, you know, especially the owner of the company, I'd want to know what they're thinking, where they are. And I would want to know real, right. If there's information they don't have and they can't get, I want to know about it. Um, so that was kind of what had me create the first video. Um, and I sent the first video out, uh, to our team. Um, and the feedback I got was fantastic. I was shocked. Uh, You know, when I get ready for work, I still look in the mirror and see this, you know, uh, dorky teenager or dorky 20-year-old, right? And uh, when they get a video, they see the owner of the company. And what they stated uh, quite a bit in some emails I got and some of the feedback that came in about it was they got a sense of security. And they felt safe because they knew what was in the leadership team's mind. They knew what we were thinking. And even though I was vulnerable and, and shared, you know, what we didn't know. And what we'd have to, okay, they felt that was manageable. Uh, you know, what, what I didn't know, we could, we could figure out together, we could go through it, or I would be able to get an answer to so um, the feedback I got from that inspired just doing it every single day. Uh, so I started doing it at every single day. Uh, and then eventually, um, in talking to other business owners, and, you know, where everybody was looking information, it just kind of lit a fire under me to, to put it out there on LinkedIn. Uh, So I've done a few videos, uh, probably not as many as I'd like to, maybe I'll do another one later today or tomorrow, um, and just putting it out there on LinkedIn, because just sharing with everyone that, you know, what I've heard, I've talked to a lot of contractors, a lot of clients in New York City, uh, some people at the building department, and just kind of share that information and um, with a sense of optimism, but also realism, which I think is important. We can't be uh, naively optimistic.
0: But it's not like you jumped to the video and said, you know what, after this I wanna be in Hollywood and and you know what? This it's natural for me to get on video. I mean, you, you you did it um from more of a like a humble leadership perspective of of getting out there and doing what you thought you needed to do. I mean, is that is that correct? I don't want to put words oh, in your e- mouth, but.
2: It's incredibly uncomfortable for me to do those videos. Uh, the first one I did uh, was just going to our team. I knew it was only going to go to our team. Uh, I thought maybe half of them would look at it, if that many. And I did eight different takes of it uh, because I judged them over and over again. Um, and, and I didn't like the videos at all. I just you know kept judging how bald I looked or the sun glare off the top of my head or uh, this word, I should have said something else or I stuttered. Um, but the reality is that I knew that Again, if I was uh, an employee, I would want that video to be sent. Uh, So I had to just be vulnerable and send it to them and say, hey, this is what I would have wanted. Here it is. Um, And if they liked it, great. Uh, And if if it helped motivate them or helped inspire them, then fantastic. Uh, I'll do it again. Um, And that's what I've done. And that's what's led to me continuing to do it, uh, where now I just shoot it. uh, And even if I stutter a little bit or one of the kids runs in the room while I'm trying to do it, uh, I still just upload it and put it out there for them.
0: If you, if you didn't have your mission and didn't have a history of empowering your staff, I mean, not only with higher, higher reward, but you know, as, as far as you stepping away from the day-to-day details and empowering them to do it, do you think the videos would have worked? Or do you think it's the combination of you being used you, to your sort of authentic self with the on top of what you've done to empower your staff?
1: Or do you uh, think I it think just
0: works a- to get videos or, or does it have to be it as an extension of, well, this is kind of what I do every day. I'm just doing it remote re- via video now.
2: No, I think it's absolutely the combination of the two. And, and uh, probably I should have sent the first video rather than the eighth, right? Because that's who they know. They know the guy who gets up and talks when I'm talking in front of them. I, you know, sometimes stumble over my words and maybe don't choose the right word carefully. That's who they know, right? And that's authentic to them. And if it's too polished, it's too clean. That's not me. I know oh, what's for, up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What's going on here? Uh, if it's not my uh, shaky hand holding the iPhone uh, doing the recording, then it's not the real thing, right? They, they wouldn't worry about it. So I think it's absolutely the combination of practicing every day, uh, the purpose of the company, the core values, uh, and just being real.
0: How do you think, I mean, do you think you'll continue to do videos moving forward like over the next months? Um, it, it, do you think that's become a thing? Um, and another question is, how do you think your leadership changes and the firm changes as we come out of COVID-19? Two,
2: two great questions. The first one, um, I don't know the answer to yet. I'm going to gauge what the team says, right? Um, because as there's been not much new, as we're in now, week nine or 10, depending on how you look at this, um, of the shutdown some mornings, I'm just You know, shooting a video that says, Hey, you know, I hope you're all feeling good. It's a beautiful sunny day. Let's take a walk uh, with your family at some point for lunch. Um, You know, I'm here. Have a great day. Uh, And, you know, signing off. Um, So if those become stale. If there's not much new to report, then maybe it has to go to every other day or, or twice a week or something like that. Uh, but I'm going to gauge that based on the team and, and what they see. And if I can provide something that's really good and informative and doesn't become saturating, uh, where it's just another video and the actual good ones they miss, uh, then I'll continue to do it every day. It really doesn't take much time. Uh, it takes a little bit of thought on what I want to say and being prepared. Um, so if
0: it, you know, is valuable to the team, I'll absolutely continue to do that. Right. And what about, um, actually, before we get into what do you think the company looks like um, going after, I, I, you just piqued my interest in that, a thought of what you want to be able to say. I mean, do you think through of, you know, I want to share this information for a specific outcome. I mean, how, does it, do you think it, um, You spending that time to think, okay, if I'm going to convey a message to my team within 30 seconds or one minute, um, how long does it take you to, Pre- prepare for that and do you think it actually is a great little leadership hack if you will to just think through if I want to give my employees a message and I need to condense it um, this is actually a good thing to start my day with even if you don't deliver it you just actually think through your leadership task of the day and what you would tell your people if, if you had an opportunity to
2: that is probably a, a phenomenal way to go about it to spend that time what I do is usually the day before Um, something will trigger in my head. I'll have a conversation with a contractor who's thinking about how they're going to prepare for, um, you know, getting back to work and what they're doing or some information they heard, or we'll talk to the leadership team. We do a a daily meeting uh, has started since uh, the COVID-19 shutdown has started. We do a daily meeting at the end of every day. And usually in that daily meeting, something will come up and I'll say, Hey, you know, we got four signed contracts in the last two days. Oh, the rest of the team should know that they'll feel really good if we got four signed contracts. So I'll add that I keep it just in the notes on my phone. Uh, And then the next morning I wake up, I look at it. So yeah, that's right. I wanted to share about the signed contracts we had or the new proposals that went out or this new opportunity, or I might hear that one of our team members did something really great. Uh, And so I'll just share that. So for me, it it just goes that far Uh, to your point. I really should be a little bit more intentional on uh, you know, what I want uh, to get out of it. But right now that's just the way it is. It's uh, a
0: little bit more raw. And I think, well, I think you said it. I mean, how much feedback are you getting from your employees? Is it just sort of r- random feedback, you know, for any leaders who are thinking about, you know what, I, I, I want to communicate more. I, I can do a little video and send it out. Um, but it's always hard to send something out and then not get the response or get it. I mean, how, how now that you've been doing it for multiple weeks now, um, what how do you how do you get the information back? Um, is it unsolicited or do you sort of when you talk to somebody, hey, what do you think about that?
2: Uh, so right now it's unsolicited, but usually in the middle of a different conversation uh, where somebody is saying, oh yeah, by the way, uh, the video Tuesday morning was, was great. Love that one. Uh, okay, cool. Great. Um, the first two weeks, I was shocked at the number of emails, text messages, and phone calls just specifically about the video. And just thought to me, wow, somebody took their time to pick up the phone, call me and thank me for the video and something in it resonated with them wow, that really did mean a lot. Like, what would it take for me to do that, to pick up the phone and call somebody and say, wow, that video meant a lot. Um, So again, probably out of the 20, uh, 28 people on our team, uh, I probably got 15 emails, texts or phone calls in the first week, more than half the team. Um, So it was really shocking. And that's not the ones that are already knew about the videos and already said that they liked them. Um, so, to me that's what really drove it now that we're nine weeks into it, where it's becoming old old habit uh, is really during a conversation where somebody might say, "Hey, yeah, uh, you know like the videos great, keep them up but, but I, it, I, I guess- try not to ask because I know it, as the owner of the company, if I ask, you know some people are going to feel obligated to say, "Oh yeah, they're great. And meanwhile they haven't watched one in, in two weeks
0: <laughs> right and I, and I, I guess to to um- to, to to make the point, I guess, the fine point. I mean, it is a step of courage to go out and and share something. Um, And and when there's feedback um, it's great, uh, but doing what you feel like you need to do as a leader in itself is a step of courage. And so, I mean, I want to commend you for doing that because it it is um, it is something that a lot of us kind of want to do more of um, but taking the first step is the hard one.
2: It really is, and, and so much of what we do, we never get feedback on. And so much of what we do, we hope pays off for us in a couple of years or 10 years, right? And, and really, are you know, are you ever gonna know about that? But if you just keep measuring it against your own beliefs and what you would have wanted if, when you were an employee and you were working for someone um, or what you would want your leaders to do, uh, just continuing to do that for me is what gives me that courage to just, yep, let's go, let's do it. Let's get the camera and let's record the video. Um, so much of what we do as leaders, you, you don't get feedback
0: on. Right. So it, I mean, it's like, but that gets into the, you know, the, the, the ROI, the short-term ROI of leadership and management done well, um, is very little return. Um, in fact, it could be negative because you're just giving and pouring, um, and you just don't know the returns until long-term. And sometimes you just don't even know them. That's how we have to keep filling the bucket. Um, because our job is to just give and serve, um, put it out there um, and not get that immediate feedback.
2: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you may you may never know. And you're right, in the short term, it can be negative uh, return on it uh, with the amount of time you're putting into it, the amount of investment you're putting into it. Uh, it could be negative in the short term, but uh, I feel that it's uh, certainly paid off for us and I think will pay off uh, so much more over the long run.
0: So with with the investment you made, pre-COVID, what you're doing now during COVID. Um, do you have any thoughts on on what things might look like coming out of this, or is this just a, you know, we assess it one day, one week at a time, and continually just try to put ourselves in the best position?
2: Well, so many of the predictions I've made so far, as far as when we'd be back to work and all of that have been wrong. So let me just start with that. Uh, so I think we'll definitely take it um, one day, one week, one month at a time. Uh, we had when I was an employee, I always wanted to have some freedom to work from home. Uh, and we've given our team freedom here and there to work from home, uh, snow days, and you know if you've got a doctor's appointment, that type of thing. Um, now, seeing how our team has absolutely crushed it while working from home, uh, to the point that we can't even keep up with the amount of assignments we gotta give to them, they're so much more efficient. Um, we will definitely allow uh, a good bit more uh, telecommuting. Um, we, Based on our core values and who we are as a culture, we have a tendency to hire social people. Um, so I don't see too many of our people wanting to work from home full time. And the nature of our work doesn't allow it. We have to be in the field. Uh, there is definitely a, a large contingent of us that just miss being around each other. Uh, but I think uh, we will allow a, a lot more telecommuting uh, as we roll
0: back here, um, a lot more freedom in, in time as well. Have you gotten feedback from, um, from your employees on, on why working from home um, or just during the season, they've been able to maybe be more efficient or crush it?
2: Yeah, uh, some of us, like myself, uh, I live 19 miles from New York City. Uh, but you know, Pete, as you know, that can be a three-hour commute, three-hour round trip commute every day, right? So uh, I myself, uh, over the past nine weeks, have gotten three hours of my life back. Uh, every single day. Uh, And even if I took half of that and put it towards the family, the other half is an extra hour and a half of work every day. Um, And the other driver of it though, is that we talked very early on and on March 13th, that Friday, we had an all hands meeting with our team and laid out that we weren't going to lay off anybody as long as they were doing what they were supposed to be doing from home. And as long as everybody else was doing what they were supposed to be doing from home, we wouldn't have to let anyone go. Uh, it wasn't in part of our vision. We had the, the cash flow in place, uh, fortunately. Um, and we didn't know it was going to last 10 weeks, that's for sure. But um, you know, we shared that with the team and that really dro- drove it home for them a lot that, Hey, you're not just trying to keep your job. You're trying to keep everybody else's job. Uh, we're all trying to do that. That's the number one. My number one role right now is to keep all 28 people on
0: board and even the, the two more that we're bringing on uh, in two weeks time. Mm-hmm. So again, it comes full circle back to the core values. That really it, dri- driving your operation. It really does. Uh,
2: it, every decision in the company really can come back to that.
0: So I want to, um, as we, we get ready to close, I want to talk about your, um, your, your philanthropic efforts a little bit and what, what drives that? I mean, it, it's a, it's a nice thing to do. I mean, beyond it's a nice thing. I don't mean it like that. It it, 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 but it takes a lot of work to really invest in other areas. I mean, especially when you're, you're, growing a business and, and that. And, and in addition to what you talked about your, some of your, your philanthropic work, I mean, you were also an adjunct professor at your alma mater. I mean, so you, you do a lot to invest outside of your business. Um, and it's a core, but, but where does that come from? That drive to do that extra work? Because a lot of people want to do it, but to actually do what it takes to be there and do it with everything else on your plate. Uh, what, what, what's the, what's the motivation behind it?
2: Yeah, I think, the you know, to start with the adjunct professor work, um, for me, I, I wasn't able very early on in my college career, I wasn't able to connect the dots between what I was studying and what I was going to do, um, and really didn't have a lot of confidence in my ability to be able to do it. Uh, and then uh, there was a few teachers who could bring real world advice to the classroom, um, And then there was another teacher who was, uh, for the most part, uh, a career academic. I mean, he does his consulting on the side, but just an unbelievably smart guy. And uh, towards the end of my senior year, I could see that he really believed in me and thought that I could do it. Uh, And he is still, I'm a huge fan of his, and he's been a a fan of Sullivan Engineering uh, from day one. Uh, But he really inspired me when I saw that somebody who is that brilliant at what they could do believed in me that I could do it in the same field as him, uh, gave me a lot of courage. Um, And then the, uh, you know, the teachers that did uh, what I do, which is, you know, practice, uh, you know, 40 hours a week or whatever it is uh, full time, and then taught a night class or taught one day a week and brought that real world experience that helped me connect the dots. So that's why I do that. Uh, I want to be able to be that spark for somebody to give them that confidence that you can do it. Um, You don't have to be, you know, a 4.0, uh, you know, brilliant technical mind uh, to be able to be a great engineer um, and, you know, try to bring that real-world experience to them. So that's for why I do the adjunct professor work. Uh, as far as some of the other charitable work that I do, um, my wife and I both recognize that we were very blessed to be born in the United States, uh, very blessed to be both part of um, two very strong families, uh, with really grounded in our faith, uh, with phenomenal parents, um, and that gives us a tremendous leg up in life, um, and, you know, uh, we owe it uh, to everybody. It's part of our our values, our Christian values, but we feel that we, we owe it to others to try to help them out if they weren't blessed the way we were, if they weren't born in the United States, uh, you know, if they weren't born to, you know, a, a family that's uh, neither one of our families had a lot of means uh, growing up, but we didn't want, we didn't starve by any stretch of the imagination. So, uh, you know, we both feel very, very strongly about that, about doing everything we can to um, help out those that maybe didn't have the advantages that we did. Um, just just uh,
0: drives all that we do. Well, That's, that's, that's encouraging. And um, inspirational and empowering. So, I mean, thank you for sharing that. I want to, I know you mentioned working with food pantries and food banks. How, how has that been like over the last several weeks or a couple of months with, um, the COVID-19 in, in the, in the New York city area?
2: Uh, so food pantries are, uh, they were struggling, um, especially the one that that my wife and I go to locally here with with the kids. Uh, They were struggling tremendously because of, um, you know, all the stores being out of supplies. uh, They were out of even the most basic needs like rice and all of that. Um, So stores couldn't make donations. A lot of the donations that go to food pantries are stores that have overstock of items or, uh, well, they'll donate it. Um, A lot of that support comes from churches, right? Churches have been closed. Uh, but there's more and more people in need. Um, so again, uh, recognizing that uh, we felt fortunate that we had the cash reserves in place, that uh, we put a worst case scenario budget in place for Sullivan Engineering and didn't need it uh, so far. Um, you know, we, we've ramped up quite a bit what we're doing for those food pantries because uh, if you've never been to a food pantry, Pete, I know you have, but uh, anyone listening, if you've never been, go. It will change your perspective and go to one close to where you live Uh, because we don't realize just how fortunate we have it, that we can open up our own little pantry in our house and it's fully stocked with whatever we want. Um, And many others do not live that way. Uh, Very, very close to us. If you do that, it will change you. That professor who motivated me um, to start the engineering company, we had him uh, come give a speech to our company. And he said that uh, him and his wife go once a month and shop for a food pantry and he will not take the receipt from the cashier because he doesn't want to put a cap on what he'll spend. He just buys what he thinks they need and he goes, and that my wife and I were motivated by that ever since. uh, And we've tried the same way. And boy, is that the most rewarding thing you could do. It's so much more fun than anything else we do is to just go in and just for some reason stock up more on rice and go and get there and see that the rice shelves are empty. And wow, we had this contribution. And for my kids to go with us and stock up on those shelves, uh, they love it. It's usually one of their favorite things to do over the weekend. Uh, We go when it's empty, load up the shelves and and they just love it. They don't see who's receiving it. Doesn't matter. That's not what it's about. Uh, So uh, for anyone who's listening, if you've never been to a food pantry, go.
0: And talk about, I mean, just leadership on a whole different level. This is on a serving our brothers and sisters serving our community serving our neighbor level um, because we, because we can, and it's the right thing to do um, level. So I, well, thank you for sharing that. I mean, as, as we close, I mean, is there anything else that you'd like to share or add um, business wise or, you know, in terms of leadership that would help um, the leaders uh, that are listening to the podcast?
2: I think um, what I've learned the most over the 10 years is that I didn't know a whole lot. Uh, And it's okay to admit that and to be vulnerable and to recognize that there's other people on the team who know a lot more about certain topics. Um, and we don't have to be the expert in every topic. If I had tried to remain the expert in every topic for Sullivan engineering, which I probably thought I was when I started the company, uh, we would probably still be uh, two people, me and an admin, uh, because others would have gotten frustrated and left. And it was the moment that I realized that delegating away was actually empowering to others and improve the company and improve my life uh, really was the secret to, you know, what minimal growth we've had uh over the past 10
0: years almost well it's like a a leader modeling the behavior that creates the culture that supports the values (laughs) and and vice versa so yeah a great example of that um is there uh, how can listeners get in touch with you to learn more about what you're doing and learn more about sullivan engineering yeah, absolutely.
2: Anyone can call uh, call me in the office if you'd like. Uh, that number uh, will be in the show notes, but it's uh, 973-706-8584. Or they can email me. Uh, the email address is long. It'll be in the show notes as well. It's bsullivan at com. Well,
0: great. Well, I want to thank you again for being on the podcast and sharing and encouraging us and hopefully empowering us with new information uh, and inspiration to do more. Um, to serve others in our organization and beyond. So, I mean, thank you so much.
2: Thank you, Peter. It was a true honor to be on here with you.
0: Appreciate it. All right, take care. Well, that's a wrap. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to and rate this podcast on iTunes or whatever platform you listen to the show from. There are links on my website and in the show notes to do so. And please share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. It really helps to get us established and I truly appreciate that. It also helps get the word out so that together we can collectively grow and positively impact the lives of others, both inside and beyond our organizations. So thank you.
1: for joining us on today's episode of AEC Leadership Today. If you want to stay relevant and effective and take your growth and prosperity to new levels, it's time to take action. To learn more about how Pete can help take you and your firm to the next level, visit www.actionsprove.com That's www.actionsprove.com See you next time on the AEC Leadership Today podcast.